you know, it starts with baby steps. If you have a calling and you have a fire in your heart, move on it. Just move on it. Don't ask yourself how, when, where. If you know that God is moving you, get on the phone and start to talk about it. Talk about your dream. Talk about the dream God put in your heart. And you'll see, little by little, people will say, I have this for you. Why don't you do it this way? Why don't you do it that way? Next thing you know, you have a shipment going to Jordan to help the refugees. Today on the podcast, you're going to hear from a great friend of mine. Jacqueline Isaac has done amazing work in the Middle East. Her work at the UN, Congress, and the European Union to pass the genocide resolution to help the people of the Middle East and Iraq and Syria has been outstanding. Uh, we're going to talk about that. It's a very timely interview, especially with everything that's happening in Syria currently. And so I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, Jacqueline Isaac. Hello, Joel. Well, welcome to our third podcast. You're number three. Congratulations. Well, thank you. For those of you who don't know Jacqueline Isaac, she is one of the most amazing reformers, I think, alive today. And here's why. She has done so much in Iraq and Syria, uh, especially with the refugee crisis. And so I can't wait to hear all that you've been up to. How does... <laughs> You're like my little sister. We've, we've traveled so much, so it's it's sometimes it's, it's a little hard asking you questions, but <laughs> I'm doing this for the audience's sake. How does an Egyptian girl who grows up in Southern California, who's a lawyer, get involved in all of this? God, it's really been a God-given journey. I mean, I was born and raised here and moved yeah. to Egypt when I was 13. Those years, two and a half years in Cairo, changed my life, changed my very being. I was no longer a Californian girl. I was also one of Egyptian blood. Here I was in Egypt as a teenager, seeing my sisters that I just absolutely fell in love with, girls my age that, you know, had many things, in, I had many, many things in common with, but I started to learn things about these young women. The fact that some of them were getting pressured to get married at a very young age, and others were circumcised at a very young age, and things that I just, I couldn't allow for girls that, that could have been me mm -hmm. had I been born and raised, and, and in particular areas in, in Egypt, if I had been living, had gone through. So my heart broke, and at the same time, I felt this fire because of how amazing these young women were. You know, I felt that they really were my sisters, and God brought me there so that I can see with my own eyes, hear with my own ears, and to start to understand the Father's heart that these young women, they deserve so much more. They deserve to not only dream, but to have the tools to really implement those dreams because they are, they are world changers. Is that what led you to become a lawyer? Yeah, so I came back, I was 15 and a half. I convinced my parents actually to let me come back by myself. I was in Orange County. And I said, I'm going to start college, and I'm going to become a lawyer. At 15. 15 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I came 15 and a half, and my mom. So you're smart, <laughs> is what you're saying. No, I was determined. <laughs> I was determined. I wanted to go back home. I wanted to be with friends. I wanted, I wanted America. But what I didn't realize is I thought I was running away to go to America, but my entire calling followed me back to Newport Beach, <laughs> Orange County. I went to Vanguard University and had an incredible mentor who believed 
that I could bridge the gap between two worlds. And he told me, you know, you can become a lawyer. You're young. I know your parents are in Egypt, so I'm going to mentor you. It's incredible what mentors can do. He helped me get into law school. Next thing you know, I was at USD studying law to be a humanitarian to help these young women. I always had them in my mind, always had them in my heart, and it pushed me to do what I do. Then I graduated law school, and I wanted to be the humanitarian I had envisioned, you know, since I was 15 and a half. But the career service office didn't really like that. Okay. There are <laughs> many <USD>. job openings, <laughs> is what you're saying? A USD. So where did yeah. you find yourself? In what so, avenue practicing law? So the recommendation was, you know, go work at a big firm first, get your experience, get get your feet wet, and then do whatever you want. So I did. I, I ended up taking up an externship actually working in London at a huge law firm. It was incredible, wonderful experience. But then my parents came to visit. And when they visited, they looked at me and they said, have you been sleeping much? (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing here? Are you happy? I said, yeah, I'm happy. My dad said, but is this what you want to do for the rest of your life? That's not why you went to law school. So I said, you know what? You're right. What should I do? I don't want to work for a big bureaucratic organization because I don't want to get stuck in the bureaucracy. But at the same time, I also need to, I need to do what I'm born to do. And so my dad said, very simple, as dads do. <laughs> he said, your mother already started a humanitarian organization. When she moved to Egypt, when we moved to Egypt as a family, we all knew we were there because we were called to do a lot for our people. It's already running. This is Roads of Success. This is Roads of Success. He said, it's already running. It's already moving. Your mother has a Christian television show. She's doing humanitarian work in Egypt. She's doing humanitarian work over the, all over the Middle East. All you have to do is open up what you have, your skills, your lawyering skills, and start advocating for the people. I said, but dad, how am I going to make money? <laughs> he said, start your own law firm in something that you're good at. So here in San Diego, I have an estate planning law firm actually learned from my mentor went to North Coast Calvary, Calvary Chapel, taught me everything I knew and believed that I was born to do what I do today, this international work. So this is how my life works. I'm either in San Diego. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. You're either in San Diego. You're in San Diego about four hours a year, (laughs) even though you live here. Well, you know, telephone and technology is very helpful. (laughs) But the other side of my life takes me all over the world through roads of success, Mm -hmm. through my mom's mentorship, my father's mentorship, people like Pastor Mark, yourself, who really believed in me when I didn't even understand how the journey was going to look like. Mm -hmm. There was a war. And I knew, I knew that I had to help in this war. This was 2011. A Syrian refugee crisis began. Mm -hmm. And so many Syrians were flooding into Jordan. My mother had already laid the groundwork in Jordan. She had been for years working with a a prince. And what she would do is she would go into Jordan, bring wheelchairs for those that were living with disabilities. Well, 2011, a war began. And refugees are coming into Jordan. and They can't take that many people, just too many, Mm -hmm. especially because of the lack of resources. So we're going in to do our wheelchair distributions. And one of the princes says, 
we need much more than wheelchair distribution. We have a crisis. We need your help. So my mom and I said, well, what do you want us to do? So he looked at my mom and he said, you have a voice. You have a television show. Use your voice and speak to the world and tell the world that we are all united, that the crisis is not just over there, mm-hmm. that we can all come together because we are all responsible. We need help. And he looks at me. He goes, you're a lawyer in San Diego, aren't you? You have a law firm. I said, yeah. He goes, use your voice. Use your connections. Start to tell the people we need help. So her and I come back to San Diego (laughs) and we start getting on the phone. Got connected to the mayor at the time, the city attorney, the county supervisor, Pastor Mark Foreman at North Coast Calvary. Little by little, within 20 days, we were able to fill up a 40-foot container with supplies for the refugees. Wow. And this this didn't happen by uh, years of experience. No, this happened by a call to the heart of people. You're talking about families in San Diego all the way to L.A., Riverside, people opening up their garages, their homes, sorting out the clothes that they wanted to give, care packages, notes, everybody's heart was in this. I mean, we had one point where a man heard my mother having a conversation and next thing you know, he got his boss to donate 60,000 pounds worth of blankets. Wow. I mean, an incredible miracle story. So that Prince of Jordan decided to get it flown over the entire shipment absolutely for free. He got Royal Jordanian Airlines to connect with us. They flew it for free. And then he came to San Diego to thank the people. Oh, my goodness. How did you connect people to this? Just like, how did you use your voice specifically? Joel, how do you use your voice when you want something done? <laughs> you, get on the, you get on the phone okay. and you contact everybody you know. It's really incredible how things can start grassroots by just getting on the phone mm-hmm. and speaking to this person that knows this person that knows this person. Next thing you know, we were able to celebrate We had a beautiful gala here in Del Mar, actually, with people from all over California that supported us and said, our heart was in this. You know, we believed. Mm -hmm. And it was just about getting on on the phone and getting to contact people and make your call to to people you know. And I just want to encourage everyone that's listening to this. You know, it starts with baby steps. Mm -hmm. If you have a calling and you have a fire in your heart, move on it. Just move on it. Don't ask yourself how, when, where. If you know that God is moving you, get on the phone and start to talk about it. Talk about your dream. Talk about the dream God put in your heart. And you'll see, little by little, people will say, I have this for you. Why don't you do it this way? Why don't you do it that way? Next thing you know, you have a shipment going to Jordan to help the refugees. So that was our our beginning. It was a very, very beginning of our journey. And I think it's a very important Mm -hmm. part of how that led to where we are today. That was 2011. Now we're 2019. Well, fast forward or rewind if you're 2019. Uh, tell us 2014, um, your involvement in Iraq. That was, uh, I mean, obviously one of the most uh, horrific humanitarian uh, crises of at least during my life. Um, can you explain to me how you got involved in Iraq and Syria? You know, again, it, began here in San Diego, believe it or not. My mother and I, after what happened in Jordan, 
decided we wanted to mentor Iraqi teenage refugees. And as a part of that, we had a mentorship program where each of the teenagers were matched up with those government officials that we had met a year prior for the prince. And on our way to celebrate these children and the government leaders, I went to an eyebrow lady to get my eyebrows done. (laughs) (laughs) It's a really, really funny part of the story. You know, there's just no coincidences. I, I really don't believe in coincidences. This woman was doing my eyebrows and I said, I have some extra tickets for this event. Do you want to come? And she says, and you're helping Iraqi teenagers here. What about Iraqi teenagers there? In Iraq. In Iraq. Do you know what's going on? I said, yeah, but it's really hard to go to Iraq. This was the wife of Robert Sommel. (laughs) Robert Sommel was a man that was very connected with the northern Iraqi government. One of the most many contacts. One of the most connected guys I've ever known, who was our fixer on the Iraq documentary and who really gave us peace of mind, um, going everywhere, connected to everybody. And <laughs> he has a like, heart of gold. He's like, Do you want to meet with the president? How does lunch he today? He is the and super connector. He would make it happen. <laughs> Unbelievable. And so same with his wife. Yeah, <laughs> so Amy. this little conversation leads us to go to this event. We're hearing these kids sharing their stories. And I looked at my mom and I didn't realize that that would be the beginning of the journey. She, God had been working on her heart to go herself, but she didn't think she was going to go with her little daughter. No, in her mind, she was going by herself. And I would stay here mentoring the teenagers here in San Diego. But one day I I came to her and I said, Mom, I want to go to Iraq. She said, I'm going to Iraq. (laughs) You're not going to Iraq. You're young. It's dangerous. You're not going. I said, Mom, you're not going without me. (laughs) So she says, okay, here's the deal. And this is, you're not talking about a time where, you know, now a lot of organizations, a lot of people. Your mom is here too. She's watching me. (laughs) Yvette, if there's anything inaccurate, feel free to chime in. And she, you know, there's, there's, there's so many today, today, 2019, you know, you have so many people going into Iraq because it's now safe, Mm -hmm. but too relatively safe, but 2014, you're not talking safe. not safe at all. Mount this Sinjar's is happening. All the Mount refugees, have, but the Yazidis have run up this mountain. ISIS has sealed off this mountain. The temperatures were in triple digits, um, you know, and no water, no food for a month. How long? I mean, how long was it? Yeah, months. Months. So what was happening is helicopters. If you all remember those scenes, they were all over the news. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't forget it. There were scenes where helicopters were going to the top of the mountain, and they were dispatching uh, supplies of water and of food. And a lot of times, the water would just, you know, splatter, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't get their water. People were starving. They were cold. And all we knew was what we knew, which was doing a container the way we had done a year prior couple years prior and so we said okay let's get a container up there if we can get a container up there then we can at least try to help save some people you're thinking if if we could do it in jordan we could do it exactly but it's totally totally completely completely different landscape no one was shooting at you in jordan good point (laughs) (laughs) no no really 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 truly you're talking about a place where nothing is guaranteed you were talking about a soil where you don't know what's going to happen, not just tomorrow, you don't know what's going to happen in an hour. Mm. 
You don't know where a bomb's going to hit, when a bomb's going to hit, who's hitting who. The coalition was there at the time in full force. Mm-hmm. It was a very complex time to even understand or digest what was happening was a whole nother thing. You saw it on the news, but what did that mean? How did that translate? You wouldn't understand that until you actually bring yourself to the soil. So we were connected to Robert. We were also connected to another woman named Abby, who is incredible. And we were connected in Iraq to a hero who I think should be a Nobel Peace Prize winner named Dr. Nazar, who you know very well. He is a hero. He is. And he was one of those people. What was his title at the time in the Iraqi he government? He is the uh, health minister in the Dahuk region. Okay. And still is. Health director. My mom's correcting me. Health, di- <laughs> health director of the Dahuk region. And so what he did was he decided that no matter what, he had to get to those people. And he had to get aid to those people. Now, mind you. All these people, Yazidi people, mm-hmm. were stuck on top of the mountain. On the bottom of the mountain are ISIS fighters. Mm-hmm. Completely surrounded, the mountain. Completely surrounded. So nobody can get up there. But he's trying to figure out ways to make it happen from day one. So we meet him. We have a container. The container made it after being very, very late because of the dangers. Made it. And Dr. Nazar tells us, we're not going to take this container to the displaced people that are in the safe zones. We're taking this container up to the mountain. Wow. So here's a Christian woman, Christian lawyer from San Diego, a, a Muslim, um, Dr. Nazar, uh, who's government official in Iraq, <laughs> go working together to bring resources to Yazidis who are stuck. Yeah. Wow. What a story. It's the heart of humanity, right? I mean, you're just... But I believe that God puts in every one of our hearts this this calling to, to be there for each other. And it has nothing to do with color, skin, mm-hmm. religion. It has to do with humanity. Mm-hmm. And he, he was... He could have easily moved to Europe at any point. Educated man. Has all the experience and connections in the world. But he decided to stay there to help us. So, puts his life in danger, puts his team's life in danger because one channel opened. The coalition was able to get one channel opened. How wide was this channel? I'm not exactly sure, but I know that there were mines, landmines everywhere. So, as they were driving up, when he sent his team to go up, they were so afraid that at any time that truck would hit the wrong area and there would be an explosive that could kill them but these guys risked their lives risked everything knowing that they might not see their children again to help other children up on that mountain and they brought our container up it was one of the very first i don't i don't know how many had gone up at this point it was just the beginning and you see these images one that i will never forget and i think you've seen it it's an image of a little girl She's maybe four, five years old at the most. She's so cold. And she's looking at these containers, the the container items. And she sees a box. You know, one of the boxes Mm -hmm. we use for the supplies. She takes that box and she puts it on top of her head for shelter. She's using even the box. Mm. 
that's an image that defined my entire journey the next few years because everything mattered. Everything mattered for them to survive and everything still matters for their restoration. I love how just one small decision to, and, and leap of faith, a courageous leap of faith led you to be so um, impactful at, at a world event that everyone's very familiar with. Um, you you made a profound impact. I think that's, it's it's really admirable, Jackie, and, and you're such an amazing person, but I think my favorite thing about you is just your willingness to say yes, and no matter what the situation is. And um, you're a very spiritual person. Um, how does God lead you in these moments of intensity, like when you're going to Mount Sinjar, when you're um, in the battlefield, when we were in uh, out, outskirts of Mosul? Um, how does how do how do you relate to God in those moments? Mm. For me, and I believe for many of us, we realize at these moments that God built us up for a time like this. So for me, it was parts of my story as a teenager, the sad moments, the tragedies, the good moments, the shocking move to Egypt, all these things I saw along the way, death, which I faced, someone very close to me, all of these moments with its shaking moved me enough so that when I was in those places, I knew that I was equipped to be able to move forward where God was taking me. Many times we don't realize why things are happening throughout our life, why those tragic moments happen. But what we do know, we may not know the, the reason why, but what we do know or we find out later on, all these pieces can later be used to fulfill that calling you were born for. So those moments where I said, okay, there is a chance of death. I knew what it was like for those people that were in risk of death up there to lose their loved ones. I knew that life and death could just be seconds off. It, it's true. And I knew because I had a tangible experience in the past. And it reminded me if you're alive to save lives because you know the pain of losing those that you love, if you know that pain and that's why you're alive, you can do it. And, and it was more than that, moving to Egypt, you know, as a young girl, seeing young women being forced to do things that they did not want to do. And you later learn that there are girls, this is the second trip now, I learned that girls in Iraq were in ISIS captivity, raped, families murdered, with their sisters still in captivity. And you're, you're asking me while I'm in Iraq, do I go or do I not? It's what matters because that's what I was born to do. So God, God is with us and he guides us. He's our friend. And there were so many moments where I could hear the voice of the Lord clearly. Go, and sometimes don't go. And you can sense it in your spirit. 
that has nothing to do with my experience and my mom's experience didn't have to do with what was logical, what the news was saying, for example. It had to do with, is the Lord guiding you to do this? Is this led by the Lord? Do you move or do you not move? Mm. And it takes, it takes time in the presence of the Lord. It takes time in prayer, understanding his heart, when and how he wants us to move. I mean, I was in Iraq, but my mom went into Syria, one of, one of the most dangerous parts of Syria during the war. She made it there because God told her to move. And I remember everybody was afraid, saying, like, how can you go to those areas? But she went because she was called. So I encourage everyone that's hearing this, don't look at the facts. Look at the spirit of the Lord and how he's moving you. Because it's really going into those places of the impossible when he leads. It's when he leads. Because when he doesn't lead, it's dangerous. So we have to really, really understand that. Because I don't want to speak on this podcast and then hear that you know everybody wants to go to, <laughs> to the war zone. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm asking you, where is the Lord leading you in your personal journey? And it, it felt, just joining you on, on a few of those journeys, it felt obvious. I, I remember those those meetings where we're like, we were planning on going into Syria and then, yeah. nope, yeah. we weren't going all of a sudden. We're like, okay. And you kind of follow the breadcrumbs, which seems crazy <laughs> when you're in a yeah. war zone, but I, I feel that's how it is. What I love about um, both you and your mom, the Isaac women, are you're, you're so courageous is that um, I know just with your story and you, you alluded to some of it, just that there's some pain from your youth that yeah. you've, really used you've you've leaned into that so um, you understand what it is to to be a female you understand what it is to um, be in a situation that isn't right and you know exactly what these young girls are going through in Iraq and Syria and instead of running from it you have you could you're a successful amazing lawyer from Sandy you should just build a big, nice home and, and protect yourself from the, the hurt and the pain of the world, but you're choosing to lean into it. And I, um, yeah, I really, I really, that's what I, I love about you, Jackie. You're, you're amazing that way. And thank you for answering the call. You and Pastor Mark and Rachel, and the entire team, you heard the stories and you came. You could have been in San Diego, Joel. <laughs> you could have just stayed in San Diego, but instead you decided to do a movie. <laughs> and go out there in the war zone. And when we come together unified, I mean, it's just incredible what we were able to do. I remember when <laughs> um, I, we had a phone call set up because I didn't know you. And <laughs> I was kind of I was stuck in Mexico trying to cross the border. We had a like a three o'clock phone call where I was going to get some information about, you know, I was gathering information for the Iraq documentary. And I was like. If I turn on my data, it's going to cost me $30. And so I had to turn it on and send you a text like, hey, I'm running behind. <laughs> and I remember talking to you in a parking lot in National City here, mm. just on the other side, of the, in the, on the San Diego side. Of, and uh, just hearing, you know, I, I, was, I was nervous. I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I signing off on to go to this? I've never been to a war zone yeah. before, let alone that tried to journalistically tell the story i was feeling the pressure of that <laughs> but i remember talking to you you're like no you gotta go it's great we're gonna meet so many amazing people and i'm like amazing people it's gonna be great in a war zone and then traveling with you there 
to see your impact on all these girls. Like when we went to Badra camp mm-hmm. and we, we, we come into this, this um, refugee camp that's a pretty ominous place. I mean, people are, have been intense for years now and they're not happy about it and justifiably so. But when we went to the Roads of Success tent and we <laughs> opened it up and all those girls who their story is so heart-wrenching, yeah. but to see the joy and to see the transformation that was happening there, I knew exactly what you were talking about when, we were, when I was in that parking lot. Oh, the people are great. Yeah. You're going to love it. And I, I did. I fell in love immediately. Tell us um, what's going on with the girls in Badra and tell us a little bit about what Roads of Success does with therapy. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's my one of my favorite things about you. It's been an honor to have you and, and Pastor Mark go to the camp and to meet the girls and Rachel and Jan have come to Germany where a lot of, of the Yazidi and Christian girls actually are as well. You've you've encountered them, you've seen them, and for us it all happened with an encounter. It all started when we met some of the very first girls that had come out of captivity. And we were sitting in a park one day and we met them, not knowing what to say. And we all paused for a moment and decided to dream together. And it was when I saw the dreams of those girls, the ones who wanted to advocate for their sisters, the the others that that wanted to be doctors, humanitarians, lawyers. I started to see that these girls had dreams like everybody else did. And we could play a part. Not to be their voice, to give them a platform to raise those voices and so we started to think how can we stay connected we're gonna leave iraq today we don't know where those these girls are going we don't know which camps are going to be at if they're going to be in the country or out what can we do so we just had an idea (laughs) it was my mom my girlfriend and i and we're sitting in the living room and we were thinking about it we said what can we do what can we do to stay connected what about a program using technology then my friend goes yeah Tech over trauma. (laughs) So he said, tech over trauma. This is what we're going to do. We are going to teach the girls what they want to learn. We're going to give them what they need. Not created by a program or a huge organization. A little group of people that's asking, what do you guys want? What do they want? Well, Emily's here today and she's teaching some of those girls German. Other girls are, are learning English. Others are getting the counseling that they need, some group counseling therapy, mm-hmm. biblical meditation, which is, has been amazing, exercise. We now have a gym, which has been wonderful, playground for the kids. And they're just dreaming again. Wow. They're just dreaming again. They they're have just hope. Have, they have hope. They know that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. They have volunteers from all over the world. I mean, you conceptualize this for a moment you're in Iraq you're a girl that you know came out of captivity or a girl that faced trauma and lost your family members and you're looking at what future looks like for you and you find out that there are people from all over the world that care enough to want to instill whatever you want it's like a schooling in the camp so you'll have a New Yorker teaching English you have a San Diegan teaching German you have art teachers and those that want to teach makeup. And makeup this is, classes, a, this is all done classes. by Skype? All by Skype. Wow. 
So uh, we have two platforms actually through the internet now, started by Skype and our internet gadgets over there, and you've seen it yourself. Mm-hmm. It is a pilot program still because we're so small and we have internet problems at times. <laughs> you've seen yourself. <laughs> but we have a vision for the girls. And, you know, sometimes it's not about how um, high tech something is. Mm-hmm. It really isn't. It's about the hearts of the mentors mm-hmm. and the girls. And that's what we're seeing. I mean, well, I've seen these teachers having to wake up at four in the morning, five in the morning, you know, the girls knowing that the teachers are on the other line, but the internet is, is not functioning well. Yeah. And they wait. Yeah. They wait for each other. They wait an hour. They wait a half an hour until the internet comes back on, you know? And they just start doing it. And the best part about the program is that they believe that others care about them enough. God cares about them enough that they can actually have the future that they dreamt of. It's possible. Mm -hmm. It's real. So it's been really cool. It's been really cool to watch it, you know, with its ups and and downs technologically. It's been amazing. I, I would love what I would love to see. And it would really be incredible for anyone that's that's listening. If you're a tech expert (laughs) and you want to come on board, (laughs) to help get our internet going (laughs) it would be really amazing because i i believe when you're dealing with war in any time of trauma you know they say is the typical refugee remains a refugee for 17 years 17 years so a lot of times these people that are displaced don't know when they're going home Mm -hmm. you think about a person who's born one month old when the war began you think of all the years that passed by they're still in the camp we, we have the opportunity to help instill that life in them, mm-hmm. those tools in them, to just allow them to believe in what God's called them to do. Now, that's fascinating. You say 17 years. Um, you know, from our perspective, Mosul has been recaptured by the Iraqi and Kurdish forces, along with the Allied forces. Uh, ISIS has been pushed back into Syria and even, you know, declared defeated. Why aren't the refugees going home? don't feel safe you know if you look at places like Sinjar for example which was absolutely demolished and destroyed by ISIS by the fighting they can go home it's an option but what are they going home to and how do they know it's not going to happen again Mm. so many of them say oh we're safer in the camps at least we have running water in the camps at least we have some kind of guards that are watching over the camps and many of them will never go home because they don't feel safe. So what does that mean? Are they lost and hopeless? No, the answer is in all of us. The answer is in all of us to come together and say, not impose what we want for them, to ask them, what do you want? And that will change over the years. And you've seen this, Joel, yourself. What do they really want? Some will say, Education is what I want. Others will say, I just want to work for my family so I can get started here. You know? But are we available to give them that chance to have the choices instead of just saying, my case is hopeless because it's not. We think the war's over and that means it's over. The situation is over. But I, I want to just challenge everyone that's hearing today that actually... The war 
may be ending, but the story just begins here. Yeah. Washington Post, um, I might get these numbers wrong, but they'll be close, uh, was estimating that a Mosul pre-ISIS invasion, 15,000 Christians um, today uh, under 20, under 50, very small number. Do you think the Christian or the Yazidi population will ever return to Mosul? No. I think it's going to be very hard. I don't want to say no because it's not impossible. But I think that there are a lot of factors that you're aware of just as as I'm aware of. We've spoken to many people while in Iraq and understand a lot of the political landscape and the fears. I don't know. I don't have the answer, but I can say that if it's going to happen, it's going to take a lot of people and a lot of states coming together to create the environment to make them feel safe enough. Hmm. Is this why you're so passionate about working within the refugee camps themselves? Yeah, because you don't know where they're going to go next. You know, I we've seen many of them. But we met in Iraq and now we're in Germany. Hmm. You don't know where they're going to go next. So what you do know is you have time with them now. What can you do to instill the tools, give them the tools that they need wherever they go to reach their full potential, to really reach what they want to accomplish? And they can. I want to say that these are not just people that are traumatized by war and we just box them as refugees or or victims of trauma. Mm -mm. They've taught us so much. These are resilient people. Resilient. And you know this just as well as I do. The things they say, the smiles on those faces, their ability to just truly never give up and keep going has taught us so much. So wherever they go and whatever they do, I know they will be contributors to our world. We just need some tools. And we can help them with those tools, all of us together, you know? I love that. Do you ever fear um, your helping is actually hurting or have you ever like, thought that you were helping and boy actually it turns out we actually hurt the situation mm-hmm. do you ever do you ever fear that how do you navigate that there's a lot of talk today about you know a lot of people trying to help and are actually making things worse here you are working in one of the most contentious zones in the world do you ever fear that one of the blessings that we've had as a family um considering my mom founded her and my father founded roads of success is that we're not really coming from a different world. We're coming in many ways from the same exact world, the Middle East, from Middle Eastern. Mom and dad being Egyptian have dived into many of these problems over the years when they grew up. And my years in Egypt really helped me to understand even more the cultural landscape, how they think, and to understand It's very important because I see this happening over and over again when there's crisis to understand that as the person to come in to support, you are not the person to dictate how. You are the person to ask, what can I do to serve you? To understand that you do not have all the answers coming from America, going to Iraq. You don't. They have answers. Because they're the ones living through it. And so I, 
I laugh with Emily and mom about check over trauma because it has, and you all know this, Rachel and, and Joel, is that it has morphed into so many different things over the years. <laughs> and we still call it, call it a pilot program. But I love that because it's flexible based on what they need. Mm. So if today it's English courses and tomorrow it's exercise or, or a dance class, then that's what we're going to do, you know, and and it's okay. So I I want to say that I'm proud to come from an American Egyptian family. I'm proud to have learned what it's like to really bridge the gap between two worlds and understand that you can be wrong and it's okay to be wrong and to say you're wrong and to start all over again. It's okay. And um, I think having that approach in any crisis to say we don't have all the answers and we're going along based on the need it's what's going to actually change things because a lot of times we get fixated yeah. on programs. Oh, the program is this. This has worked here. Yeah. We expect it to work <laughs> exactly. here. Exactly. Yeah. But it changes. Yeah. You know? I think you're, I think you're hundred percent right. I think too, <laughs> uh, we, everyone today is an evangelist of their own opinions. Mm. And, um, and usually that's a, you know, when we're, overly opinionated and we have all the answers usually we're pretty isolated yeah <laughs> and I yeah. think I love that you have that humility about you and that you are are one of real engagement and and you're not proclaiming to have all the answers I, I love how you work in partnership with you know um, Samaritan's Purse mm -hmm. and UNICEF and everybody who's working over there um, and I, I think you're just filling in these gaps these very human gaps um, uh, that we've seen firsthand, just the, the smile on these girls' faces, uh, you know, it's just, I, I was baffled at how they could even smile because hearing their stories, our whole production crew couldn't focus our cameras because we were in tears the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And and you you provide that. So thank you, Jackie. Thank you. You know, it's all about, it's all about relationship. It it's is. all about creating that family. Yeah. And I have that family with you, Joel and Rachel. And I yeah. just want to thank you for being a part of our family. You yeah. Know? Um, so what is the next, uh, <laughs> I normally <laughs> ask people what is the next six months, but that'd be way too much. What's the next <laughs> month look like for you? Let me give it a couple months. The next two months I'm really excited about because November, the UK is actually launching an amazing conference. This will be the fifth year anniversary of them setting up an office. I think the only office that's been set up first, for sure. An office on preventing sexual violence and conflict. I've become a part of a drafting committee where we just drafted an incredible declaration to be signed by religious leaders all over the world. Wow. And it will be to stand against stigma for those survivors. So we are looking forward to having that launch in November, having the religious leaders sign on and to stand really with the women and to say to their denominations, to their churches, their mosques, their temples, to say, we are standing with these women. We want them to have the independence to make their choices. We want them to be contributors to society. And we will not look down upon them. We will admire them as our heroes. So I am really excited about that. Religious leaders have the influence to change their entire community mm -hmm. and to have them unified coming together for this. It's historical. Even across faith lines. Across faith lines. If you look at the committee, the drafting committee, we have everyone, Muslim, Christian, Jew, humanists. Awesome. 
we have everyone there and we're coming together to say let's do this let's stand on where we unite you know we unite in an area where we stand for these precious beautiful women that are our heroes well jackie you're my hero thank you for being on the podcast today and uh we will love to follow your story and along at roadsofsuccess.com dot org dot com dot org dot org and um yeah keep changing the world thanks for being on the show thank you for having me